now in session. Thank you. You may be seated. The court will call 22 CR 6008 People v. Anderson Aldrich. As a procedural matter, the court entered an order this morning allowing recording of the video feed from today's hearing. However, I want to make it extremely clear to everyone that is present in this courtroom currently and everyone who is present in the auxiliary courtroom that there is no photography allowed in the courtroom. There is no tweeting allowed in the courtroom. There are no videos to be taken while we are in session today. If someone is found to be in violation of this order, you will be immediately expelled from the courtroom and could face consequences, including contempt of court. Please turn off your cell phones and put them away at this time. Would the parties enter their appearances, please? May it please the court, uh, Michael Allen and Jennifer Beeman for the people of the state of Colorado. Good morning. Defense. Good morning, Joseph Archibald, Michael Bowman, Office of the Colorado State Public Defender on behalf of the defendant. Good morning. Could the defendant please state his name? Anderson Aldrich, did you watch the video concerning your constitutional rights in this case? Do you have any questions about those rights? The court finds that Anderson Aldrich appears in custody for video advisement today with counsel. Counsel, are you waiving reading an advisement of the rights charges and penalties in this case at this time? Yes, we are. Are the people seeking a proof evident presumption great hearing in this matter? Yes, sir. Then pursuant to Colorado Revised Statute 16-4-101-1A, I find there is legal authority to hold Anderson Aldrich without bond at this time. The next court hearing in this case will be held on December 6th of 2022 at 8.30 in the morning in Division 21 with Judge Michael McHenry. Are there any other matters that the parties would like to address today? Yes, Your Honor. Um, We'd ask if the court could set another date, not December 6th. Mr. Bowman's going to be in a jury trial over there at that time. Let me find out if that would be possible. Okay, we're checking on that. Just bear with us. Thank you, Your Honor. And Judge, while we're checking on available dates, uh, it's customary in the 4th Judicial District to file charges within 10 days of today. Um, if we're going further from that, are they waiving any time constraints that would be associated therewith? Did the de did defense hear Mr. Allen? Yes. Uh, we can't accept the 6th because Mr. Bowman's trial calendar. We can do it earlier uh, next week if, if Mr. Allen would like that or, or we could waive the 10 days. I don't believe that Judge McHenry is available earlier, which um, was the reason that it was set for the six, but we are reaching out to his staff right now to find out. Um, so we'll let you know in just a moment. Okay. So Division 21 is indicating that currently that is the only date 
that is available, I would encourage council to follow up with Division 21 um, after the holiday early next week to see if something else could be arranged. That's the only information I have at this time. Um, Judge McHenry is not in currently, and so we can't get additional information from him. Mr. Bowman. I have nothing further, Judge. Okay. I, I understand the position that offense is in, and it is clear in the record that you're not accepting that date. I, we will schedule the case for that date and time, but Division 21 and the people are on notice that that date may be changed and that that is the defense's request. Are there any other matters that either side would like me to address right now? Nothing from us, Judge. Okay. Anything yes. from the defense? Yes, Your Honor, we would ask that the court um, allow the defense to have a copy of the arrest warrant unsealed so that we may uh, review it and advise our client in advance of the next court date. Mr. Allen. We have no objection to the court unsealing for purposes of defense, so just uh, as it relates to uh, representation. I did review defense's motion in that regard prior to this hearing today. I will release the affidavit to defense counsel and their investigator with a protective order in place that it not be released any further. And will the people make sure that defense counsel gets a copy of that? We can arrange that. Thank you. Anything else for the purposes of today's hearing? Not from defense. Not from us, Judge. Okay. Okay, so just wanted to show you um, his first court appearance, okay? And um, a lot of people have been making a lot of uh, comments about this guy, but here's something about this. Uh, people tried to say he was a right winger. People tried to say he was a Republican, but look what uh, came up that uh, basically blows all of that away. What could it be? What possibly could it be? Here it is. Dun, dun, dun. Colorado club shooting suspect is non-binary. Attorney says, attorneys say, the public defender for the suspect in the mass shooting at a Colorado Springs LGBTQ nightclub said in the Tuesday night court filing obtained by the New York Times reporter that their client is non-binary and they use they, them pronouns. The big picture, the suspect, Anderson Lee Aldridge, 22, is facing multiple murder and hate crimes over the shooting at Club Q last weekend that killed five people per Max D'Alforentio, a city spokesman. Aldrich was injured during the shooting but released from a local hospital and booked into the El Paso County Jail earlier on Tuesday per the Denver Post. Aldrich was due to make his first court appearance via video link from jail Wednesday, according to the Denver Post. Hmm. That is interesting. And you notice how, you know, the story died down automatically because they, they tried to pin it on different people. They tried to pin it on the the Christians. They tried to pin it on all these different uh, far right. 
That's what they tried to do. All right. And unfortunately, those accusations were dead in the water. It's sad. It's like they don't want to hold this man accountable. They want to hold other people. They wanted to try and play the blame game. But instead, you know, the blame game just blew up in their face because it's not any of that. The man is not, you know, is one of the LGBTQ community. And they don't want to basically hold this man accountable for his crimes. Okay. Don't want to hold them accountable for nothing. All right. It's sad. Okay. You can even say with the uh, Jeffrey Dahmer situation, right? They got mad that he was part of the um, LGBTQ community. All right. And people were saying that, but it was true. All right. Well, we know about the five, the uh, the five club Q shooting victims. New details are emerging on Saturday's mass shooting inside the LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado Springs, including the identities of the five victims killed and their heroic actions. Two patrons took to stop the gunman. <clears throat> the latest. All right. U.S. Army veteran Richard Ferrero, one of the two patrons praised by authorities for disarming the suspect at Club Q, told reporters Monday that he did what he was trained to do and got into combat mode. <clears throat> Update on the Club Q. Too often society loses track of the victims of these sad and tragic events. We strive to give victims the dignity and respect they deserve, as well as shine the light of public attention to the victims. Therefore, we are identifying them now. We respect all community members, including our LGBTQ community plus community. Therefore, we will be identifying victims by how they identify themselves and how their families have loved, but have loved and identified them. There are five people I could not help, one of which was family to me, said Vera, whose daughter's boyfriend, Raymond Green Vance, was among those killed in the shooting. Big picture, the investigators say the suspect opened fire inside Club Q just before midnight, leaving 17 others with gunshot wounds. The shooting is being investigated as a hate crime against the LGBTQ community. But he, here's the thing, though. How is it um, a hate crime when he's one of the LGBTQ community? He's non-binary. Okay. <clears throat> the suspect, Anderson Lee Aldrich, was being held without bond and remained hospitalized, but could be discharged in the next few days, officials said Monday. All right. There's club, uh, club Q shooting victims. Daniel Asson, the club, the club Q bartender, was a transgender man from Oklahoma who moved to Colorado Springs two years ago. He was he had he was the happiest, and he had. He had ever been. His mother, Sabrina Ashton, told Colorado Public Radio of her youngest son. Ashley Pa, Pa, who had friends in the LGBT community, but wasn't part of it herself, 
was married, had an 11-year-old daughter, and was and worked in foster care. She had driven from La Junta, Colorado, to see a comedian perform at Club Q on Saturday night. The Denver Gazette reports Derek Rump, Club Q bartender who identified as a gay man, was one of the sweetest, funniest, quirkiest, smart, smart, um, <clears throat> smart Alex you'd ever want to meet. His friend Sky Lay told the Colorado Sun, Kelly Loving, Loving was a trans woman visiting the visiting from Denver, from Denver and had a caring nature, the New York Times reports. She was loving, always trying to help the next person out instead of thinking of herself. Her sister Tiffany told New York Times. Raymond Green Vance. Vance was a club Q, was at Club Q on Saturday night with his girlfriend and her family for a birthday party. Cassie Farrell, his girlfriend of five years, shared on Facebook that he made life worth living and was the best thing to happen to her. Per BuzzFeed News note, local officials confirmed Monday that Cassie Farrow's father, Richard Farrow, who who co-owns a local brewery, loved was beloved by Mexican-Americans across the U.S. And Thomas James were two patrons who helped apprehend the shooter. Farrow said a drag performance stomped on the suspect's face with her with heels after he asked her to. All right. The club was a place of safety and belonging and community, and it was attacked. Transportation Secretary Pete Budenberg told Axios on Chicago, told Axios in Chicago on Monday. We don't know everything, but we don't have to in order to see a pattern. But it said, and I don't think you can separate the pattern of physical violence against LGBTQ Americans from the pattern of elders from pattern of leaders. Sorry or would-be leaders singling out LGBTQ plus Americans for hate and fear. I think he, he spoke too soon. He really did. Okay? Because they should have gotten the facts. They already jumped the gun and thought it was a right-wing Republican that was coming to, you know, terrorize this place when it was... It wasn't like that. <clears throat> Was one of the uh, the alphabet community, but they're not doing any more stories on it. I don't see any uh, uptick in social media about it because it couldn't go with the narrative that they had, and that's sad. This guy could be mentally ill. This guy could be. I mean, he's a danger to society, obviously. But they're not willing to look deeper. I mean, what what? What do they have going on in the alphabet community that could possibly have a man just lose it like this? Who identifies as non-binary? What could be going on that this man just flips like this? That's what I want to know. That's what I would like to know. Those words have consequences. It matters what leaders say or don't say, especially about vulnerable groups, he continued. And in this case, especially when you think about it, for example, trans high schools, they're not a threat to anybody. But this kind of rhetoric is clear and present to them, present threat to them. Colorado Springs attorney Michael Allen said and the investigation will likely last for some time. Investigators say a potential a uh, potential motive remains under investigation. Authorities also say it remains under investigation whether some 
whether more than one suspect was involved. Aldridge was arrested on suspicion of five counts of first-degree murder and five charges of committing a bias-motivated crime. The initial charges could charge when they are formally filed, authorities said. In the coming days, the arrest warrant will be made public, Allen said, and the suspect will make his first appearance in court by video. Aldridge was charged with felony kidnapping, menacing after he allegedly threatened his mother with a homemade bomb around a year and a half ago, according to the Associated Press. Denver Gazette obtained the video footage from the alleged incident on Monday. The previous charges raised questions about why authorities did not use Colorado's red flag law to seize weapons and ammunition he possessed. Yeah. That this man um, threatened his mother with a homemade bomb a year ago, a year and a half ago. Why wasn't he put in jail? This shouldn't be prevented. This shouldn't have happened. So let's look into that. Okay. Let's let's look into this uh, type of um, investigation into the law enforcement down there. How could you have dropped the ball? The this was a clear red flag law, and and most of you don't know what red flag laws is. It's basically, you know, let's say you know you uh, know somebody who has firearms and they make a threat. You know, you report them to the police, and you could have their weapons taken away. Okay. I don't get it. I don't get it. What 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 was what was not going through what went through their heads that they just thought this was okay to ignore. Okay. I'm sorry, but when I when I see this inform this piece of information, it was ignored. Law enforcement dropped the ball, and it kind of reminds me of the law enforcement down in um Gosh, I forgot the name of that part of Texas where they had that school shooter and the cops down there were just too cowardly to just go in there and take out the shooter. I forgot the name of that part of Texas. But it's just the same bungling act. I mean, what's going on here? Oh, well. I don't know what to say, man. I don't. I really don't. Because people today are just. What could I say? All right, let's go on to Elon Musk. See what's going on with him. All right. Fascinates me that people still praise this man. Even though he um, has left the regulation of what is deemed hate speech to the, um, the Anti-Defamation League. The same Anti-Defamation League that wants to just wants to be like the Gestapo when it comes to any type of commentary. That Anti-Defamation um, anti League. He put that in there to regulate what goes on Twitter. So you all are praising him, but you don't have that free speech. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, but let's go on with the story. Conservatives celebrate Elon Musk's purchase of Twitter by gleefully posting censored truths. This is a great day to be a conservative on Twitter, wrote Senator Marsha Blackburn. 
heavily censored social media platform, Twitter turned into a free speech party Monday after news broke that Maverick billionaire and self-described free speech absolutist Elon Musk had successfully purchased the company for $44 billion. So Elon Musk got to say, free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy, and Twitter is the digital square where matters vital to the future of humanity and debated are debated, said Mr. Musk. Mr. Musk, I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticizing all humans. Twitter has a tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. Amid the return of previously banned conservative accounts, including Fox News' Tucker Carlson, who was banned for agreeing with the statement that a man who claims to be a woman is still a man, conservative users gleefully tested the waters by posting comments challenging the legitimacy of the 2020 election, slamming public health experts for lying about COVID-19, extolling the virtues of heavily suppressed coronavirus treatments, hydrochloroquine and ivermectin, and debunking transgenderism. Okay. So this is what Senator Marshall Blackburn said. This is a great day to be conservative. Oh, yeah, I read that already. Yeah. <clears throat> the Daily Wire's Michael Knowles deliberately experimented with a new moderation rules on Musk Twitter by posting a series of tweets expressing mainstream conservative opinions that might have gotten him booted from a platform just a day earlier. The 2020 presidential election was obviously rigged, Knowles wrote, adding another tweet. Public health officials lie repeatedly about COVID-19. Ivermectin is a wonderful drug. The author and podcaster also posted affirming another that contrary or to the opinions of activists and experts, transgenderism isn't a real category of being. My thing is just you guys are happy for what? Are you happy for the fact that you just get to tweet on Twitter again? Is that it? Never mind the fact that Elon Musk supported Ukraine. Never mind that Elon Musk said Nazi is not the term Nazi is not what you think it means. That's my thing. I mean, what are you guys really happy for? This is the same man who said um, we're summoning the demons with technology. All right. That's what they're using technology for. That's what he said to summon the demons. I don't know. What is so, what is everybody gushing about this man? It's like the same thing with, you know, Christians with Trump, all right? Like Trump, Trump, Trump. Trump says he doesn't need forgiveness. I mean, what are you doing? I'm just saying, like, people are, pray, are supporting men who have said things, who have done questionable things, say things that clearly says they're not on your team, all right? But I guess so many, so much people are so engrossed with the with the image of a person. They're so engrossed with the image of a person that they don't care to know the real person. They don't care to hear the red flags coming out of a person's mouth. It's kind of like dating. I mean, people are so excited about being with this person. They have this. They have that. And you're love. You're in love with the image of the person, but you and you're not hearing the red flags that are coming out of that person's mouth. And then when something bad happens due to being with this person or they do something to you, 
Now you want to cry victim. I don't know what to say. I don't. Eric Aguilar, a Republican congressional candidate in Florida, said he was testing the Twitter freedom by posting six controversial statements that could have gotten him banned prior to Musk's purchase. I'm testing the Twitter freedom. One, ivermectin works. Two, hydrochloroquine works. Three, vaccines are ineffective. Four, masks don't work. Five, boosters are killing people. Six, Dr. Malone and Joe Rogan are heroes. Let's see if Elon Musk is, is, keeps his word. Uh, Joe Rogan, celebrities. Oh, boy. All right. <clears throat> Retweet if you agree. Eric Aguilar of Congress, for Congress, Florida, 4th District. Republican Arizona State Senator Wendy Rogers simply wrote, Trump won. Mm, yeah. Meanwhile, the blaze, Sarah Gonzalez contradicted the official position of the Biden administration by stating the obvious fact that only women can get pregnant. I I don't know what people, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. The response from the left has been less than enthusiastic, however, as liberals decried the losing the loosening of content moderation rules to open up free speech. Several weeks before Musk's successful purchase Twitter, author Max Boot op opinioned for the democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. How does that make any sense? In order for democracy to survive, we need more content moderation, not less. You mean you need to censor people? You need to censor? Yeah. That's basically how could you have democracy if you don't have free speech? Again, how could you have democracy if you do not have free speech? That makes no sense at all. All right. And, you know, he supports Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine. Yeah, the same white supremacist Nazi nation. Okay. Imagine being mad about being free to say whatever you want. Quipped conservative podcaster Benny Johnson. Other conservative Twitter users have joked about the negative responses from leftists who worry that Mock's plan to open free speech on the platform could lead to the spread of dangerous misinformation. People who think men can get pregnant are suddenly concerned about misinformation on Twitter, remarked one user. That's true. MSNBC host Ari Melber drew widespread duration and amusement for worrying that under its new ownership, Twitter could secretly ban one party's candidate for all of its candidates or um <clears throat> sorry twitter could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates all of its nominees or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach for something else and the rest of us might not even find out about it until the after election isn't that what the left is doing right <laughs> Uh, some people, they just like, you know, they just see these things, these two political parties as sports teams. They don't care if they're doing um, underhanded stuff. It's just, it's my team. My team won. Like, it's sports. Never mind it's about, you know, the future of your country and what you might have to live under by having this person in office. It's my team. That's why I can't take people who are Republican or um, Democrat seriously. Because deep down, it's just a way to force your view on others. It's basically what it is. That's how people look at it. Instead of this uh, 
you know, these two, you know, holding the people you vote for accountable. That's the thing. But that's how it is, and people don't really care. These are two wings of the same bird. Okay. MSNBC talent suddenly realizes the owners of Twitter can rig the entire site. This is amazing to watch. Does he not even? Did he not realize all of this was already done to Republicans? Let's see what he's going to say. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Well, I don't believe he's an you know open-minded helper, but I just see it's just this is just the childish way of the, you know, the left side. I mean, the Republicans are just as childish as just saying, "Well, man, I don't have an advantage anymore. I don't have an advantage of you anymore, man. This sucks." Well, that's what it is. The banning of political figures and censorship of political damning material have been among the primary reasons Twitter has come under fire from conservatives. For example, the social media company, the platform former President Donald Trump, and squashed the New York Post story about Hunter Biden's laptop. There is truly nothing funnier than this MSNBC, MSNBC host ranting about what Elon Musk could do to Twitter, and accidentally giving a perfect description of how Twitter has actually operated for the last five years, <laughs> remarked Daily Wire senior editor Carbett Phillips. Meanwhile, Tucker Carlson wasn't the only banned personality to return to the platform following the transfer of ownership to Musk. Anti-lockdown group Truckers for Freedom, which has been banned from Twitter, also returned Monday after the buying the buyout, according to the Fox business. Many social media users have clamored for the reinstatement of other banned accounts since the transfer of ownership, including the Christian satire site, the Babylon Bee, and Donald Trump. Trump was permanently banned for the from the platform whilst the sitting president of the United States shortly after Capitol riot on January 6, 2021. And a decision sure to disappoint many. However, Trump has stated that despite the new ownership, he will not be returning to Twitter. Instead, he will remain on True Social, the platform he launched last year. Tuesday, podcaster Benny Johnson suggested that even though Trump doesn't plan to use his Twitter account, Elon Musk should restore it anyway. Free speech on Twitter starts with righting previous wrongs. Yeah. But um, I don't know, man. A lot of people aren't truly taking the time to look into Elon Musk and to look at him with a side eye. That's the thing. This man isn't on anybody's side but himself and the global elites. That's the thing. People should look into what he said about like wanting to start company towns. Okay? They should also look into Starlink. But people are too, in, too I don't know, I guess, googly-eyed over him. That's the thing. Just like how liberal blanks, liberal, liberal blacks were for Obama, they just looked at the symbolism 
and they didn't look at this policies. They didn't look at who this man stands for, what he represents. They just look at the fact that he was black. And I see the same thing when it comes to Elon Musk. They just see the fact that I could get back on Twitter and I could stick it to the liberals. That's what it's about for them, not the, the substance, just the symbolism, you know? That's all it is for some people. All right. Okay. So let's look into this story right here. Very interesting here. Okay. Let's see this. Interesting story about this doctor. Okay. Swiss doctor locked away in mental asylum for questioning um, the COVID lockdowns. All right. Top Swiss cardiologist Dr. Thomas Binder has been deemed insane by the Swiss government and locked away in a mental asylum after he spoke out against COVID lockdowns. Wow. Dr. Binder has been an outspoken critic of COVID restrictions since the start of the pandemic. On April 9th, 2020, he slammed the government's response to COVID and provided his own analysis of the virus via posts on his own website. <clears throat> Armstrong's economics.com reports three days later, a day before Easter 60 armed police officers and 20 members of the Konspolslezi Aragos anti-terrorism unit forcibly removed Dr. Binder from his home. Wow, this is straight Nazi Germany style. Authorities searched through the doctor's online activity and could not find anything to use against him. However, an emergency room doctor who was working with the authorities arrived and diagnosed, Mr., um, diagnosed Dr. Binder with corona insanity. He was locked away in a mental asylum for questioning the COVID narrative. Yet he refused to be silenced. He is now a member of Doctors for COVID Ethics and the German Physicians and Scientists for Health, Freedom, and Democracy. I applaud him for still speaking against coronavirus mandates despite the government's pitiful attempt to silence him. That is insane. That is insane, man. He spoke this he all he did was speak out against it. And you had you barge into his home with 60 armed police officers and 20 members of the anti-terrorism unit. Imagine that. And sad to say, that will happen one day. I don't believe this censorship is dying off. I don't. Because when they had to introduce um, the new uh, the new pandemic, the new situation, they're going to have people silenced. They're going to have people, you know, arrested. They just need the right climate. Okay? And people are very gullible. People are not going to unite. They're not. Look how what happened these last two years. Does that show that people were, you know, mad as hell and they're not going to take it anymore? No. It just shows the fact that people are easily broken down. All right. I'll just show you, you know, the, the Carrie Irving situation. Look at the athletes who bent. They bent the knee. 
Kyrie Irving was basically hung out to dry. Shaq and all those other athletes, they didn't do nothing. They didn't say, hey, man, stop that. You ain't going to do this to us. Oh, hell no. Nah. All they had to do was crack that whip. And they were like, yes, boss. Yes, boss. I'll do anything you say, boss. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Same thing for anybody else. That's it. I'm not getting no food. I ain't going to be able to work. Yes, boss. Yes, boss. I'm telling you, man. Slowly but surely, this place is going to turn into another form of Nazi Germany. Okay? It's coming. It's coming. That's all I got to say. People want to say, oh, yeah, let's unite. People saying it on uh, on social media. Let me tell you something. If you really want to lead a revolt, you cannot lead, you cannot be putting out information like that on um, social media. That's not going to work. It will not work. All right? You can't do that. Because the people you are coming against, they own the social media. can't do that. You got to go old school. You got to go underground. You know. It's not going to happen. And only certain people are going to have to be let in. Too many people will be snitches. Too many people will break. All right. And rules will have to be in place for snitches. Real harsh rules. But let's talk about these players, you know, who made protests over the uh, FIFA's decision to ban um, One Love Armband. Let's talk about that, okay? Let's talk about what's going on there. All right. One second. Okay. They couldn't after FIFA threatened them with a minimum sanction of a yellow card. And the story has renewed impetus this afternoon. Let's go live to our chief. Fair use. Towards Carve Solikol, who is in Qatar for us. Carve, uh, good afternoon once again. Good evening to you. So the World Cup has, has barely started, but the controversy just keeps on coming. And now we have the image of the tournament so far. It is of the German team in their team photo ahead of kickoff covering their mouths just walk us through this and the significance of this stance well look first of all uh, i'd have to say i'm not sure it's the defining image uh, of this world cup it certainly is one of the most defining images of this world cup uh, i think the iranian players refusing to sing their national anthem that is probably the most defining uh, image of the world cup because there could be very very serious repercussions uh, for those players when they return to iran as far as uh, what germany have just done uh, before their game kicked off against 
against Japan. Yes, of course, it is going to be a picture uh, which will be remembered for a very long time. It is a very powerful statement that the Germany team uh, are making. We've just had a uh, statement from the German Football Association, the DFB, and they say it wasn't about making a political statement. Human rights are non-negotiable. That should be taken for granted, but it still isn't the case. That's why this message is so important to us. Denying us the armband is the same as denying us a voice. We stand by our position. So a very powerful image, a very powerful statement from the Germany team as well. And then we saw the extraordinary pictures as well of the German interior minister, Nancy Faeser. Uh, now, she, of course, is at the game today. And actually, she was sitting next to Gianni Infantino and she was wearing that one love armband, which has caused so much controversy. Look, as far as uh, a lot of people in Germany are concerned, they feel that this World Cup should not be held in Qatar. And they also feel that the German team should not even be playing in this World Cup. There have been street demonstrations in Germany against this World Cup. We've seen scores of banners at Bundesliga games uh, protesting against the World Cup being held in this country. Uh, lots of uh, bars and pubs uh, not showing uh, World Cup games in Germany as well. And you've shown, we've seen the strength of feeling there is uh, in Germany against this World Cup from the players and also from the highest levels uh, of the German government. One other uh, update I'll give you that I think is significant as far as uh, German football is concerned. Uh, last night, one of the German Football Association's main commercial partners, a company called REWE, who are one of the biggest supermarket chains in Germany, uh, they said that they were so disappointed uh, with the fact that FIFA had refused to allow the German team captain, Manuel Neuer, to wear that one love armband, that they had terminated their commercial agreement with the German Football Association. Uh, their chief executive, uh, Lionel Souk, said, we stand for diversity and football is diversity. The scandalous behavior of FIFA is for me, as the CEO of a diverse company, as well as a football fan, absolutely unacceptable. Talk about an, another of the nations, uh, those seven nations who were due to wear the, the One Love armband, but ended up not sporting it. It's Denmark. And of course, in terms of their press coverage of this event, the, the FIFA Men's World Cup, there's been plenty that's been happening. Well, they've had lots to say today too, haven't they, Carve? Yes, this could be a very, very significant uh, development. Uh, the Denmark Football Association and players, they walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Uh, I think possibly only the Norway Football Association has been so outspoken uh, when it comes to do with issues regarding human rights, inclusivity and diversity. Uh, and today, the chief executive of the Danish uh, Football Association has said that they are ready to withdraw from FIFA over this whole issue and they want to discuss withdrawing uh, from FIFA with other 
member associations who are so fed up with FIFA that they want to leave. He says that the decision has not been made uh, now. It is something that he has been considering for a few months. And he says that discussions uh, had already been held with other football associations in the Nordic region uh, since August, so for the past uh, four or five months. And he says, Jacob Jensen, the CEO of the Danish FA, I will quote him, he says, I imagine there may be consequences if Denmark leaves on its own, but let us see if we can have a dialogue. I have to think of how to restore confidence in FIFA. Now, a lot of people keep saying that uh, sport and politics should be kept separate. They should not mix. We had Gianni Infantino, the FIFA president, saying that people should be focusing on football. Uh, but I think what a lot of people in football are saying to Gianni Infantino and FIFA is if you host the World Cup in a country where migrant workers die building the infrastructure, and if you host the World Cup in a country where same-sex relationships are illegal and criminalised, uh, then sport is politics. To leave it there, but thank you very much indeed for the moment. Now, the English FA also remain unhappy about the situation surrounding the captain's armband. Let's go live to our senior reporter, Rob Dorset, who is in Doha. Uh, Rob, just tell us where you are. What is, the, what is the latest with England on this particular story? Well, look, uh, the English FA are not speaking about this. They're not making any comment. They're not even giving any guidance behind the scenes, in truth. But my understanding is that the English FA remains very unhappy about the situation, and in particular that they were made the guinea pigs here, that even though they'd written to FIFA trying to engage with them about wearing this one love armband in September, um, the real dialogue was begun by FIFA an hour before the England team boarded the bus for their opening game at this World Cup. They are furious about that. They, they believe it was deliberate um, to make it impossible for Harry Kane and the FA to have time to react and consider what they might do as a result. Now, the FA's lawyers are looking forensically at FIFA's regulations and they're considering other ways in which they can show their support for the LGBTQ plus community and a wider anti-discrimination message. I mean, there has been an awful lot of talk about the Court of Arbitration for Sport here. Some reports suggesting that the, the German FA could go to CAS on this matter. They can't. It's not possible because CAS only deals with pre-existing disputes. Um, but FIFA's argument here is that um, they didn't want to set a precedent. That armband is handed to each captain of each nation by FIFA. It's a FIFA bit of property. And if they were allowing uh, uh, that to be adapted or amended by nations, it would set a difficult and dangerous precedent where teams could put any political message they wanted on there in the future. Now, again, people I've been speaking to say the FA aren't buying that the English FA are not having that at all because they believe a precedent was already set when FIFA allowed the British nations to wear a poppy on their armband uh, around Remembrance Sunday and that they believe is a much more political statement than a message that says one love. Um, now the FA I understand are aware of what the German national team have done here by covering their mouths before their opening game and they're very aware as well of what the FAW the Welsh FA have done by replacing their corner flags with rainbow corner flags at training today. Uh, they're not going to give us any idea. They're not
not going to comment, as I say. They're not going to give any specific commentary on the ideas they're coming up with. But uh, important to say that the FA have not letting this drop. They are still determined to show their support for the LGBTQ plus community and a message of anti-discrimination. And with their lawyers, they're working out exactly how they can do that, possibly in the second game against America, if not, immediately afterwards. All right. So my thing is this, right? They want to talk about, okay, you want to talk all these human rights abuses and everything like that. Um, you have many European nations doing unfair, horrible things to other nations. Let's talk about Africa. No, let's not talk about Africa. Let's talk about Haiti. Okay? Haiti won their independence. France got mad, came back, threatened to enslave Haiti if they don't surrender to France's terms. Okay? And Haiti has been paying a debt ever since. Never mind the fact that the French government, you know, had was using them as slaves. All right. Never mind the fact they were never mind the fact they were oppressing them and they fought for their freedom. They always have Haiti paying a huge debt that Haiti is now in ruins. Okay. It's in ruins. It's run with anarchy. And they're not called out, okay? They're not called out about it. But you want to come here and talk about all these inhumane, inhumane conditions, how people have died to build the stadium. You want to try, oh, well, you know, and, um, you know, the alternative lifestyle is criminalized, Okay. Maybe the fact that they don't want somebody pushing their culture, a culture that has harmed societies, on them. And they see what's going on in uh, Western nations. Okay. Hell, I mean, Obama went over to Kenya and tried to introduce that alternative lifestyle to Kenya. All right. To the Kenyan president. Kenyan presidents shut that down. It was like, we're not talking about that. That is not important. We have other things, bigger fish to fry. That is not important. All right? And I don't have a problem with Qatar. I don't. I don't have no problem with that. Okay? Because many European powers have oppressed other nations. Okay. And nothing's done about it. This is one country that is not going to put up with that type of influence in their country. And now the whole the whole European world wants to be in uproar. Interesting. It's interesting what they picked to fight for. Very interesting. Not going to say anything else about that, but it's very interesting what they pick want to pick fights about. It really is. Okay. Now I'm going to talk about this uh, story coming out of uh, San Francisco.
Very interesting. San Francisco Mayor London Breed announced the launch of a new guaranteed income pilot program for the city's trans community. And Confer's Ella Sogamonian talked to local trans leaders. Ella, how are they reacting to this news? Well, they tell me that it's been years in the making and that this money, particularly for this community, is so important because when you look at the numbers, trans people are disproportionately more likely to be impoverished, even in a state like California. The Guaranteed Income for Trans People, also known as GIFT, is a new program that will benefit 55 transgender people living in San Francisco for more than a year. Mayor London Breed has dedicated money from the general fund for the pilot program, spearheaded by Lion Martin Community Health Services and the Transgender District. Each person will get $1,200 per month to use as they please. I'm just really thrilled that the city of San Francisco is investing in it's trans residents, especially as a community that is extremely vulnerable. In the last statewide U.S. trans survey in 2015, it was revealed that 33% of trans Californians were living in poverty compared to 12% of the general population. Honey Mahogany, who founded the San Francisco Transgender District, explains even in a place like the Bay Area, trans people face discrimination by employers, making it harder to get higher paying jobs. So many moved to San Francisco. It's considered a safe Haven, but the exorbitant cost of living makes it hard to keep up. You know, it's really why would you move to a place that you know the cost of living is extremely high if you don't have the skills to obtain a high paying job in that area? Why not move to a place where you know you could afford? And you could be able to get a job there. And my thing is this, right? You could afford to give, you know, the Transformers this, but you can't afford to give reparations. Especially in this climate that we're in. really great to see the city moving forward on trans issues, especially right now with everything that's happening in the country. So um, things like this really make me proud to be a San Franciscan. To qualify for gift, applicants have to be 18 and older, be a San Francisco resident, and make $600 or less per month. And along with the temporary income, recipients will be connected with a range of services, including mental health care and financial coaching. Applications will be accepted from November 15th through December 15th. In the newsroom, Ella Sigmund. This this is crazy, man. Everything going on. And this is what. This is insane, man. It really is. Truly, this is, man. With everything going on, people hungry in the streets, children are hungry. This this is crazy. All right. Okay, here we are. Yep. Give me a minute.
Hold on a second. Story's having a problem picking up. All right. Yeah, I'll just read it from here then. All right. People applying for San Francisco's new transformer low-income scheme must choose between more than 130 genders, pronouns, and sexualities. What? The Democrat-run city is the second in America to offer targeted benefits specifically for residents who are transgender gender and make less than $600 a month. Those who want to apply for the guaranteed $1,200 a month package can fill out 10-page form online, which asks about contact details, income, and security, social security. But they are also invited to choose between 97 genders, 18 pronouns, and 19 options for sexual orientation and told to check all that apply. I think they're trying to drain the money out of these blue states. They're starting with uh, San Francisco first. Among the options listed are xenogender, a gender beyond human understanding, and gender F, someone who purposely sends mixed messages about their sex. What? Novi gender, which refers to someone who believes their gender identity is so complex it cannot be described using existing categories is also an option. Also an option is FTX, which stands for female to expansive, a person assigned female at birth who identifies as non-binary. You can't make this up. Pronoun options include traditional terms like he, him, and her, but there are obscure gender neutral choices like Z, Zim, Zay, and XYRS. Meanwhile, possible sexual orientations listed include heterosexual, homosexual, same gender loving, and BDSM kink, as well as other derogatory term. What? Really? Jay Richards from the Right Wing Heritage Foundation told DailyMail.com, gender ideology is overrunning our culture and vastly amplifying the number of minors and adults who suffer from gender dysphoria and gender confusion. That's basically it. I mean, this this is a mental health issue. All right? This is a mental health issue. All right? And you already have programs for people who are suffering from mental health, suffering mental health problems. So you need to just take these people and send them to a government facility where they could get the treatment that they need. They're already out there. You don't have to be spending this ridiculous amount of money. They have um, affordable housing for people like this. They have shelters. He said, Except a growing, expect a growing population of needy indigenous people in San Francisco presenting themselves as transformer. Okay. Man, this is a... All right. And there's going to be people who are going to take advantage of this. There are going to be people who are going to. Oh, it finally shows up. All right. 
they're going to be people who are going to just they don't even transformer they're going to take advantage of this look at this look this chart this is ridiculous so many people are going to take advantage of this so many newly elected democrat mayor london breed is initiating the new pilot program to help her city's transformer community figures show that a third of trans transformer adults in the california city are in poverty compared to 12 percent in the low in the general population the program guarantees low-income transformer people 1200 a month per um, 1200 per month for 18 months identifying as transformer is enough to qualify and applicants do not need to have had surgery like i said the droves of people that are going to come and just milk this bleed this state this um san francisco dry is going to be astronomical numbers the mayor's office said that the money will be unconditionally given to 55 households that qualify. According to the program's website, applicants must be 18, must be older than 18 years old, earn less than $600, live in San Francisco County, and be willing to participate in surveys during the 18-month period. It was designed as a collaboration between the mayor's office and the Transformer District and Leon Martin Community Health Services and was first mooted in July of 2021. Palm Springs launched a similar scheme earlier this year where it allocated 200000 generated in guaranteed income for the desert community's transformer and non-binary residents. The mayor's office has allocated $2 million over the two years for the program, which has included in the budget for the mayor's office of housing and community development. In a statement, Transformer District President Aria said, said by giving low-income Transformer people the resources to cover the expenses they deem most immediate and important. Given each person's unique situation, we are implementing a truly community-centered intervention to combat poverty. The program differs from the city's other charitable efforts in that it places no limitations on what recipients can spend their money on, reports Cron. In addition, the money to the money, those who qualify can also receive gender-affirming medical care, treatment for mental health issues, and financial advice. It is not clear if this is for free. Applications for the program began on November 15th and closed on December 15th. The mayor said our guaranteed income programs allow us to help our residents the most as part of our city's economic recovery and our commitment to creating a more just city for all. Bree continue. We know that our transformer communities experience much higher rates of poverty and discrimination. So this program will target support to individuals in this community up. Hmm. Maybe if they try to create jobs in San Francisco, maybe, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I don't think that you know, these people can't get jobs. wonder why they can't get jobs. Are they willing to conform to job standards? Do they want to wear purple hair? Okay. What are their skills like? What skills do they qualify for to get a job? That's another thing. Sometimes people have to just look at the skills. What do you have? What 
what skills do you honestly have that you could get a job? It may not be a job that you like, but it's a job that you could get. And then you could get two jobs you may not like, but it beats an empty stomach and a blank check. And then start from there. All right. But a lot of these people, they don't want to do that. I'm sorry, there's, there's, there's a whole. I guarantee you, if you start just peeling the onion on this, peeling back the layers, asking them questions, you'll find out that they just want entitlement. Paul Kriegel, the director of San Francisco Office of the Transform Initiatives, said, even with our rich history of trans advocacy, we see that trans San Francisco experience, San Francisco's experience poverty at exponentially higher rates compared to the general population. Hmm. Maybe they don't want to conform to job policies and dress codes. I'm taking guesses here. And the fact that you opened it up, you made it in such a way that anybody could just, you know, say they're transformer, say they're part of the LGBTQ. The people don't even have to get surgery. I just identify as this. I identify as that. Boom. They get that money for 18 months. You don't have to track it. You don't have to, um, you know, ask them to keep a tally on what they're spending it on. Nothing. But you don't have money for uh, reparations. Interesting. Speaking to San Francisco Standard, the executive uh, director of the LGBTQ community service provider, Roger Doughty, said there has been some important and courageous one progression in recent years. You call this progress? Continue transformer people especially transformer people of color, still live with unacceptable levels of poverty, lack of health access, lack of stable housing, and violence. San Francisco can continue to play a critical leadership role. The GIFT program is the third of its kind to be launched in San Francisco, following on from a guaranteed income program for artists and a program for mothers and pregnant women of Black and Pacific Island descent. The latter offered a thousand to qualifying residents. Two further programs are slated, are slated for launch in 2023 that will target the city's youth community. The program's launch come as crime continues to spiral in the Bay Area. Per San Francisco Police Department statistics, larceny thefts are up to 13.2% over last year, while robberies are up 5.4% and assaults are up 9.6%. Rapes in the city are also a whopping 9.3% over last year, with homicides up to 2.1% over the last year. All this going on, and you want to just give away money? Basically, what they're doing, they're giving away money. Instead of focusing on crime and getting that down so businesses could come to San Francisco and don't have to worry about their shop being burnt down, don't have to worry about uh, you know, getting robbed while trying to open up the store. You want to give away money. That's basically what they're doing. They want to give away money. This, this doesn't make any sense. Cut down the crime and you'll have businesses coming in there to start up and give people jobs. 
that makes a whole lot more sense than just here. I'll give you money just if you identify as a tree. Okay. Some residents revealed last month that they are now arming themselves with baseball bats and stun guns after a new drug rehabilitation facility drew violent addicts to a previously peaceful neighborhood. What the what is going on here? What residents of Soma neighborhood in northeast San Francisco have said that ever since the Soma Rise Drug Sobering Center opened in June, troublemakers have plagued the neighborhood. They told Fox News that rather than tempering drug usage, the center has done little more than draw heavy users to the neighborhood. They're letting their clients come out here, come out here and get high, go inside, get sober, and then get high all again. Sackett told ABC7 of the facility that Mayor Breed's office originally categorized as a safe indoor space for addicts to get off the streets. Officials are now said to be looking for other ways to deal with their growing drug problem plaguing San Francisco streets without sending drug users to prison. Meanwhile, a recent survey conducted by the San Francisco Chronicle found that two-thirds of the San Francisco residents say their city is going downhill. A third also say they plan to leave the city within three years. So let me get this straight. You want to give these people money. What are they going to do with the money? And there's no jobs. What are they going to do with that money? And there's no jobs. I know businesses are leaving that place. I know it. This is insane, man. The survey of 1,653 adults found that 65% said the city was declining, while 37% said they would live elsewhere in three years. A staggering 84% of the people are age 65 and over said they are planning to leave. Respondents largely agreed on the city's top problems. Homelessness took first place, followed by public safety and housing costs. I think you take care of the crime, everything else will fall into place. Nearly 70% said they doubted those problems would get better in the coming years. One respondent, Day Eccles, 53, told the Chronicle he was fed up with the city and prices would likely force him to retire elsewhere. The average rent in San Francisco has risen to 3750 per month. I just remember the hippie generation, and it was all about taking care of your kids, brotherly love. And that is totally gone, said Eccles. Other residents hit out hit out at Mayor Breed, whose earlier popularity for steering the city through the pandemic appears to have waned amid widespread homelessness, poverty, crime, and fentanyl epidemic and other woes. Some 35% said Breed had done a poor, poor, very bad, making San Francisco a better place to live and work these past three years, while 42% said she done a fair job and 23% an excellent or good job. The survey was conducted after the recall election of Progressive District Attorney Cecil Bowden, who was ousted in June and frust- amid frustration in publicity in the city. Meanwhile, a 19 year old student had become Miss America's first ever transformer. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Transform our local passion. <laughs> oh man. Oh, 
I'll do a story on that soon. Probably do a story on that after this. But um, yeah. I mean, what 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 is the here? What 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 was the purpose? Well, this, you want to give money to these people, and they have to fear for their lives. All these people got to do is get this benefit money. All right. And then leave, leave for San Francisco. Now what? Nobody in their right mind is going to take this money. All right. And stay in San Francisco. They're going to leave. Probably stay for 18 months, stack up their money and leave. Why would you stay in a crime infested city? It makes no sense. You know, there's barely any jobs. Barely any jobs there. And rent is skyrocketing. And there's violence against Transformers there. Makes no sense to stay there at all. Not in the least. Now let's check out what Kim Jong-un's sister has to say. All right. is warning the U.S. about military drills as Biden administration officials make their first visit to that region. The news coming after the White House asked the Justice Department to dial back rhetoric, calling the nation a criminal syndicate. NBC News national security correspondent Ken Delanian joins us now. Ken, a pretty blunt warning from the sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. How seriously is that being taken? It's hard to say, Aaron. Kim Yo-jong often plays the role of rhetorical pit bull for the North Korean regime. And she issued a statement yesterday warning the Biden administration that, quote, if the U.S. wants to sleep in peace for the coming four years, it had better refrain from causing a stink at its first step. I don't know about that translation, Aaron, but this comes as my colleague Carol Lee and I are out with new reporting show, uh, that the Biden administration has decided to try to lower the temperature in the U.S. approach to North Korea, so much so that White House officials were annoyed last month when career Justice Department officials announced an indictment of three North Korean hackers and used really tough language, as you said, calling North Korea the world's leading bank robber and a criminal syndicate with a flag. There were some uh, perturbed uh, White House officials on the phone saying, look, you're going to provoke North Korea. This is not the approach we want to take. Um, and that really shows that the Biden administration feels like they don't have any good options. And the best thing to do with North Korea is to keep, keep that country out of the news, Aaron. Well, Ken, the Secretary of Defense, Secretary of State are both in Asia right now. They're talking about North Korea and denuclearization. Uh, talk to us about the timing of, of this warning. And, and uh, it can't be a coincidence. No, of course not. And look, it comes after, uh, you know, a Trump administration that tried to engage in a very high profile way with North Korea. And North Korea did uh, give them a sop. They stopped testing ballistic missiles. But in the meantime, uh, intelligence officials tell us they continue to build nuclear weapons. So the nuclear threat from North Korea is as great as it's ever been. And the Biden administration knows there is no good policy answer to this short of going to war, which no one wants to do. And so what they've decided to do is to try to lower the temperature, to try to not provoke North 
Korea to not play the game of tit for tat. They certainly, there certainly won't be any summits, as there were during the Trump administration, under this approach. Um, but there will be this kind of rhetoric from the sister uh, of, of the leader. Uh, that's, that's been pretty common over the years, Aaron. All right. Kindalanian force. Ken, thanks. So basically, you know, she gave a threat to um, Biden. Hopefully, he'll take that on. Hopefully. But I doubt that he will. All right, because Biden wants to try and play tough guy. He wants to try and play, uh, you know, we're tough. We could We could beat anybody. No, you can't. Sad to say you got some Americans who feel that way, that America could beat anybody. No, you can't. Not with all this donating billions of dollars in military aid and weapons to Ukraine. And the, wep and the uh, U.S. military weapon supply is extremely low. No, you can't. That, that, that's not happening. That's not happening at all. Uh-uh. Kim Jong-un's sister warns the U.S. of a, of a major, of a more fatal security crisis. Kim, Kim Yo-young, the second most powerful person in North Korea, called the U.S. a barking dog seized with fear. After the U.S. and the U.N. condemned the country for the recent intercontinental ballistic missile test. The influential sister, the influential sister of North Korean leader Kim Jong-un warned the United States on Tuesday that it would face a more fatal security crisis as Washington pushes for U.N. condemnation of the North's recent intercontinental ballistic missile test. Kim Jong-un's warning came hours after the U.S. Ambassador Linda Thomas-Grinfield told an emergency meeting of the U.N. Security Council that the U.S. will circulate a proposed presidential statement condemning North Korea's banned missile launches and other destabilizing activities. After the meeting, Thomas Greenfield also read a statement by 14 countries which supported action to limit North Korea's advancement of its weapons programs. Kim Jong-un, who is widely considered North Korea's second most powerful person after her brother, lambasted the United States for issuing what she called a disgusting joint statement together with such rabbles as Britain, France, Australia, Japan, and South Korea. Kim compared the United States to a barking dog seized with fear. She said North Korea would consider the U.S.-led statement a wanton violation of our sovereignty and a grave political provocation. You can't tell the, uh, another country stop limit your um, limit your program that helps you stay strong and able to defend your country against its enemies, which is you U.S. So you can't do that. That's like someone telling you, you know what? Limit the amount of weapons you have to protect your loved ones from your enemies. They're going to look at you and, and laugh at you like, who, who are you? The U.S. should be mindful that no matter how desperately it may seek to disarm North Korea, it can never deprive North Korea of its right to self-defense and that the more hell-bent it gets on, with, gets on the anti-North Korea acts, it will face a more fatal security crisis, he said in a statement carried by state media. Monday's UN Security Council meeting was convened in response to North Korea's ICBM launch on Friday, which was part of the provocative run of missile tests this year that experts say is designed to modernize its nuclear arsenal 
and increase its leverage in future dem- diplomacy. Friday's test involved its most powerful Hosong 17 missile, and some experts say the successful steep angle launch proved this potential to strike anywhere in the U.S. mainland if it's fired at a standard trajectory. During the Security Council meeting, the United States and its allies strongly criticized the ICBM launch and called for action to limit North Korea's nuclear and missile programs. But Russia and China both vetoed wielding members of the Security Council oppose any new pressure and sanctions on North Korea. In May, the two countries vetoed a U.S.-led attempt to toughen sanctions on North Korea over its early ballistic missiles tests, which are prohibited by U.N. Security Council resolutions. North Korea has said its testing activities are a legitimate exercise of its right to self-defense in response to regular military drills between the United States and South Korea, which it views as an invasion rehearsal. Washington and Seoul officials say the exercises are defensive in nature. Kim Jong-un said the fact that North Korea's ICBM launch was discussed at the Security Council is evidentially the application of double standards by the UN body because it's turned blind eyes to U.S.-South Korean military drills. She said the North Korea won't tolerate any attempt to undermine its right to self-defense and will take the toughest counteractions to the last to protect its national security. On Monday, North Korea's foreign minister, Chao Son-ji, called UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres a puppet of the United States. There are, there are concerns that North Korea may soon conduct its first nuclear test in five years. The staff of North Korea's nuclear capability remains shrouded in secrecy. Some analysts say North Korea already had nuclear-armed missiles that can strike both the U.S., mainland and its allies, South Korea and Japan, but others say the North is still years away from possessing such missiles. Unfortunately, the U.S. government is not going to behave and they want control. They want to run the world, but that's not going to happen. It isn't. Other nations are fed up with the U.S. The U.S. government, not us, the U.S. government. They're fed up with their uh, the bully tactics, and that's why you have BRICS, all right? Brazil, Russia, okay, India, China, and Africa, all right? That's why you got BRICS. Okay, on to the next now. All right. Okay, oh, all right, I am, nope, I'm not done. I thought I was. Here we are. This is the story I wanted to cover. All right. Okay. This is sad too. It really is. It's become an all too common scene. Haitian refugees detained in the Dominican Republic. 
we met them in this military base in Dajabón, right at the border. They're being sent back to Haiti, even those who say they've built new lives here. My husband works in a construction site and I was cooking at home when the police arrived. They wouldn't let me get my baby's clothes. I left all my money at home and I have nothing here. Security forces here are telling us that most of these people were detained trying to enter the country legally, but some of these women are telling me that they have homes here and that their children were born in the Dominican Republic. Mirlanda Pierre is with her eight-year-old son. She shows us his birth certificate that proves he was born in the Dominican Republic. My son has a birth certificate. He was born here. They cannot send him back to Haiti. The UN has called on the Dominican Republic to hold deportations. Haiti is in the midst of a political crisis that has gangs controlling large parts of the country. Thousands are fleeing. Lack of available health care services in Haiti have forced pregnant women to cross the border to deliver their children. But many are not allowed inside Dominican hospitals, and some have had their children on the street. Human rights activists say they're alarmed about what they call our President Luis Abinader's persecution of Haitians in his country. There are massive deportations, and the cases are not individual. There's no due process. There's children with papers, others with just visas. It's just massive and a scandal. Even pregnant women being sent back to Haiti, and the law says that shouldn't be done. The Dominican Republic is building a wall to protect its borders from smugglers, but also illegal migrants. Rubén Silies says his country is poor and cannot allow everyone in. The only mechanism the Dominican Republic has is to show that it will not tolerate migrant irregularity or the deportations, and this is what we are doing. This has nothing to do with ethnical reasons or racism. That's another problem. If the state stops all deportations, we do not know what could happen here. Haiti is facing its worst crisis in years. Human rights groups say its people are being discriminated against across the region. And they're asking the Dominican Republic, among other governments, for empathy for those who are trying to escape hunger, violence, and have no place to go. Do you know where they're taking you? Teresa Bo, Al Jazeera, Dajabón, on the Haitian border. You don't need... it's, a, it's a sad situation right there. Because um, both, it, it you know, both sides are um, are are struggling. Okay, man, it, it's it's sad because he's he's telling the truth. Dominican Republic is not a uh, it's not a it's not a rich it's not a rich uh, it's not a rich nation. It's not. Okay. All right. According to Reuters, United Nations Commission has increased its projection for poverty in Latin America and Caribbean for 2022, citing economic disruptions caused by the conflict in Ukraine, Latin America, and Dominican um, Republic. Poverty will rise to 33% of the population this year, 0.9% of its point uptick versus the 2021. Okay. This was uh, June 6, 2022, all right? You know, it, um, guy's not lying at all, all right? And unfortunately, you know, they're in a, they're in a, uh, a, a tough space. They're between a rock and a hard place. 
Okay. Haiti has to deal with these gangs and um what do you expect them to do? They have to leave that place, okay? You have, you know, boys, little boys and girls and women and older women getting assaulted by gangs. Okay? Haiti cannot uh deal with this problem themselves. They can't. They need help. They really do. All right. The Dominican Republic is facing international criticism over its treatment and deportation of Haitian migrants. Driving the news, Dominican authorities expelled more than 60,000 Haitians between August and October. A government spokesperson said in a tweet earlier this month, over 108,000 Haitians have been deported since the beginning of the year. More than double the number were repudiated to Haiti in all the last year, the spokesman added. Long-standing tensions between the two island neighbors intensified after the assassination of Haitian President Jovel Moïse in July of 2021. Since then, the Dominican Republic has stepped up its efforts to deport undocumented migrants, including Haitians. The Dominican Republic announced that earlier this month is creating a police unit to look into foreigners living in the country without documentation. In February, the country began building a wall covering nearly half of the 244-mile border with Haiti. Dominican officials say the measures and deportations are necessary to, due to the economic situation in Haiti. But critics, including the UN, say the deportations must stop due to the human rights situation in Haiti, which is facing cholera outbreak, fuel shortages, and escalating gang violence. Okay. But you see, um, I blame the Europeans for this. All right. I blame them. Because... All this could have stopped if you stopped having Haiti to pay a debt to France. Okay. Actually, France should be donating money to Haiti. Pay them reparations. And they could thrive on their own. Okay. I can't even say that France should send in troops. Or the UN should send in troops to... Uh, take care of this gang problem because you know the UN troops have been known to do horrible things in those countries all around the world certain parts that is I'm sorry certain parts that is they've been of assaulting women and leaving in ha and the kids out of those assaults are living in those countries Unremitting armed violence and systematic human rights violations in Haiti do not currently allow for safe and dignified and sustainable return for ha of Haitians to the country. UN Human Rights Chief Volker Turk in a statement. What they're saying, the U.S. Embassy on Saturday warned a Dominican official's target suspect, suspected undocumented immigrants, especially Haitians authorities, have not in some cases respected the individual's legal status in Dominican Republic or nationally, uh, nationality. The actions may lead to increased interaction with Dominican authorities, especially for dark-skinned U.S. citizens and U.S. citizens of African descent, the embassy wrote. There are reports that detainees are held in overcrowded detention centers without the ability to challenge their detention and without access to food or toilets, sometimes for days being before being released or deported to Haiti, the embassy added. 
MC stopped short of saying the deportations must stop. The U.S., which has deported thousands of Haitians this year, is preparing for the possibility of mass migration from Haiti by expanding a migrant center on Guantanamo Bay. Looking into the Bahamas or Turks or Cacos for temporary new holding sites, Axel Steph Kite reported last week. Dominican Ministry of Foreign Affairs rejected the U.S. Embassy's warning, saying in a statement, the United States government has not provided any evidence beyond anecdotal cases. The minister called on the U.S. Embassy to remove the alert, adding that the Dominican government would never have imagined such insinuations against our country. Between the lines, anti-Haitianism and anti-Blackness are part of the nationalist story and history which has been taught and propelled in the Dominican Republic and in the diaspora. Andy Bonifacio, an assistant professor of English at the University of Toledo, specializing in the American literature and Latinx studies, told Axios, people's human rights are being violated as the government enacts the latest decree to deport Haitians rapidly throughout the country, he said. But what's happening is a human rights crisis. Okay, so, but I will be honest. Yes, Haiti and Dominican Republic, they, you know, Dominican Republic has done some really messed up things to Haitians. They have, okay? Um, and you have to do your research with that one. But like I said, this has been caused by Europe, Okay the destabilization of Haiti and the gangs and the chaos, all right, as well as, you know, the corruption of Haitian leaders because um, these European European powers set up puppets in these countries, and when these puppets don't do what they're told, they get deleted, throwing the country into, into turmoil. Like this um, the Haitian president that was assassinated, all right, that person, he used the gangs to um, stop his competitors from becoming the next Haitian president. All right. And the guy who got assassinated, he was a puppet for European powers because he was the guy before he became a the president of Haiti. He was a banana farmer. So do you know something up was was up with that? OK. So all I've got for today talk to you guys later. Anything you want to know about this channel is in the description box. Later.